1: Does an old French ghost story actually have terrifying implications for everyday life? And then we travel to the Soviet Union to follow a group of KGB special forces out on a mission. When an island is mysteriously shrouded in fog and people go missing from time to time, the government wants to know why. Little did they know that this investigation would turn into a bloodbath, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. we got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Joseph Zutz. Joseph Zutz, thank you for supporting the show. He's actually just started listening to the show, and he's a new Patreon. That's very, very exciting. You're going to be our captain or our pilot of this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine, too. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. Now, Joseph, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit rowboat, or an oar. Catch! <laughs> it's a huge oar, but he's a strong guy. I'll toss you an oar. We're going to take the Dead Rabbit rowboat, but first off, I want to give you a... Update to yesterday's episode, Samson Forever. So yesterday we talked about Samson the dog. Samson is a longtime listener of the show, along with his best friend, Sean. We actually used one of his websites as a source a long time ago on the Gaddington Canyon story. So he told me that his dog Samson had come down with something called psoriasis. It's not it. <laughs> it's not it. Uh, leptos- leptoporosis. And it's very common. It's super common. You basically get it by being a dog. Just like your, your dog, you're like swimming and you're chasing animals and stuff like that. Biting squirrels. You can get this disease. It's so common among dogs that the vets say you should get them vaccinated once a year. So if you have a dog, talk to your vet about that because it can kill your dog. It, it would ended up causing internal organ failure in Samson. And they were going to put him to sleep on Wednesday. So we rushed the episode out, we put Samson in the cockpit of all of our vehicles, and I wanted to let you guys know that, although Samson is no longer with us, Sean was a, I thought this was pretty cool, Sean, I sent Sean the email, and he woke up the next day, and he was going to take Samson out to the yard one last time to play catch, and he thought, he had something in his head going, I should check my email. And he saw the episode, and so Samson got to hear that episode. With all of us, this this show isn't just me, it's all of us. So we all got to go on this giant adventure with Samson, and he got to hear it, and he had a great time. Sean said he just seemed so alive, running around in the backyard. So, we're sorry to see Samson go, but he may make returns in future episodes. He may be a dog that pops up, helps us fight aliens, chase Bigfoot, all sorts of stuff. We're going to miss you, Samson. But you'll always have a place in the heart of the Dead Rabbit Radio family. So, Joseph, I'm going to nod to you. You nod to me. You try to salute with the oar. You bump your head. It's very comical to us, not to you. Let's go ahead and hop in that Dead Rabbit rowboat. We are going to row all the way from America to France. Joseph gets to stand on the bow of the Dead Rabbit rowboat. He's technically the captain. (laughs) We all have to row. We're rowing with one hand, drinking our beverage of choice in the other. Joseph's like, man, I have a drink? We're like, yeah, sure, but you gotta help Roe. And he's like, no, I'm fine. I brought my own water. So we finally are making our way all the way out to France. We're going back to the year 1710. And I want to give a shout out to two Twitter followers, Burnt Toast Ghost and Lacerder Chuckle F-word. I can't They actually say the word, but try to keep the show not super explicit. Although I'll talk about Horrible, horrible, disgusting diseases that meth users have. Those episodes aside, thank you so much, Lacerda. Thank you so much, Burnt Toast Ghost. They helped do some translation for this episode. So we're going back to the year 1710. We're in Brittany, France. We're going to get out of the dead rabbit rowboat. We're walking through the forest. We're specifically in the forest of Ludoc. We're walking through the forest and... Shh, be quiet, be quiet. We hear two people arguing in the distance. We see two men poking each other's chest with their fingers. I love her. And then the other guy goes, no, I love her. And they keep poking each other's chest. We're seeing a fight. This is how old-timey people fought. We're seeing a fight between Pierre Leroy and Jan Jan. So they're like poking each other's chest. I love her. No, no, no. I love her more. And we're like, oh, this is kind of like a lover's quarrel, except... Except the lover isn't there. It's two dudes fighting over a woman. They're just poking each other's chest. And then we see a startling movement. But we can't do anything. Because otherwise I don't have a story. We have to let this happen. Jan Jan stops poking Pierre in the chest with his finger. And he reaches down and he pulls out a dagger. And he goes, this will be more effective than my finger. And he stabs Pierre Leroy. Oh no, my blood. I need that to live, Pierre exclaims. As he falls to the ground. And Jan uh, Janjan goes, I guess I win. I guess I now have the love of my life. And he walks away. So Pierre's laying there out in the forest and he's bleeding and he dies. Oh, wait, no, I looked at my notes. <laughs> That's not what happens. <laughs> kind of. I skipped a step. So Jan Jan comes back. He's like, oh, I forgot this part of the story. He comes back and Pierre is dead. He just kind of walked around the tree until he died. And then he goes, okay, I committed the perfect crime. I murdered someone, that's step one of the perfect crime. Now I have to dispose of the evidence. So he digs a grave right by an oak tree deep in the forest. And he buries it. He's like, aha ah, ha. Ah. Now the perfect crime has been committed. Step two, hiding the evidence. Now step three, to leave the scene. But the perfect crime is not what he committed because he's very shortly found out. To have murdered this guy. I don't know why those details have kind of been lost to history. Or I didn't research that part. But the point of the story is he was found out. And poor Jan Jan is executed on December 11th, 1710. Now there's actually a record of his execution. So we know this part of the story is true. And that's not in the realm of impossibility, right? So we know that part of the story is true. Where we get into the legend is this. At that oak tree in the middle of the forest, five holes appear in the ground. That's the sound of a hole appearing. (laughs) If you didn't know, if you're not a geologist, five holes appear in the ground right where his body was buried. I'm assuming, actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm assuming they dug him up. I'm assuming they didn't leave him buried there, but for whatever reason, it was ghost ground, five holes appear right by this oak tree. Now, a legend started. This is where the ghost story starts. That if you cover the holes up, you die within a year. It's interesting because we don't know how the legend started, or even when it started. We just have anecdotes later on. Supposedly at some point, like the first story we have about this is two drunk dudes show up at the... Crime scene, and they're like, I'm more drunk. No, 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 I'm more drunk. They're poking each other in the chest, and then one guy starts reaching for a knife, and they're like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, I don't know, I don't know what you were trying to do, but first let's tempt this ghost story. I heard that if you cover up one of these holes, you'll die within a year. And the guy the guy's still reaching for the knife, he's like, You might die right now. And he's like, Yeah, 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 don't don't do that. Let's let's continue the story. If we cover up these holes, we'll die within a year. Apparently. One of them did. One of the drunk guys decided to cover up the holes. I don't know if he covered up all of them or one of them or what, but he died within a year. Now, there's no names associated with the story. There's no dates associated with that story. And that's really when you read about this online, They tell it's pretty much the story I told you. Dude gets murdered, body gets dumped, holes appear, legend starts, and then they'll go, for example, two drunk guys once da-da-da-da-da. You're like, okay, just a simple local ghost story. It's a legend. If you go out there, you walk around a tree three times, say boogity boogity, ghost pops up. The National Forestry Office of France has the area roped off. You can see photos of this. There's four posts put up. There's a rope covering the areas. And there's a sign there that warns people to stay out of the area. And that's what I was getting help from Lacerda and Burnt Toast Ghosts. Because I was like, I don't know French, right? That's actually a long story. I might. I might have told that story before. But I might know French. But I definitely can't read it. I asked for a translation and people are like, oh, you know, that's actually what it says. It says, beware that some dude died here. Don't cover up the holes. You'll die within a year. So stay out. So the National Forestry Office put this up. Now, obviously, it could just be a tourist trap. But where are you spending your money at? There's not like a person selling whole trinket around the corner selling donut holes. Test your luck. Try to throw these into the roped area and see if you can plug a hole up. Could be a tourist trap, but it's unlikely. It could be a legend that nobody really wants to test. It's interesting on two levels. One, it's a very, very hard myth to disprove because a lot of people die within a year. Your chances of dying in the next year are actually quite slim if you're generally healthy and you don't do any sort of like crazy things like Drinking and driving and stuff like that. But everyone has a chance of dying within a year. You can increase those chances. Plugging holes isn't one of them. Unless you're plugging in, like, you know, Godzilla's butthole. Then you might be in trouble. But for the most part, plugging holes isn't a high risk factor. You could have a hundred people plug these holes, a hundred people do this, and then within a year, one of them dies. And that was the 65 year old man who was drunk driving <laughs> and trying to drive his car in a Godzilla's butthole. So he was going to die anyways. The other people who do it, who keep on living, aren't part of the legend. So it's like confirmation bias. You're looking for the stories that back up what you're looking for. You could even say, my uncle died, and a year before he went to the forest, maybe he plugged one of the holes. I think there's actually a scarier implication to this story. What we know is that there is a record of this crime taking place at this area. We have these five holes in the ground. We have this legend around them. How many of these locations are out there that we don't know about? The world could be littered with paranormal landmines like this. I'm not even talking about like haunted houses or sacred ground. I'm talking about places where someone was brutally murdered. The crime was never discovered. It was the perfect crime. Bodies buried, just feet under the ground. And while it's decaying into the earth, it's releasing all of this vengeance energy because it was killed because of a lover's quarrel. Basically festers and grows. So the chance of you stepping on one of these or you're like spitting sunflower seeds and there's a tiny little hole, tiny little bird got stabbed are quite high. So I'm not asking you guys to be agoraphobic or anything. I'm just asking you to be a little careful around all those holes you see in your daily life. If you happen to see one, just step aside. Because although you might think, oh, that's just a hole. There's no big deal. It can't hurt me. Within a year, you may find out how much damage a hole can actually do. I <laughs> Yes, I said that statement out loud. And yes, I'm saluting to Joseph Zatz. He's saluting back. We are going to give him the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are taking off and we are headed out to the Soviet Union. <laughs> Helicopters flying out. Joseph, take us high up in the air as I do this introduction. A while back, I a long time ago, did an episode about the KGB fighting aliens in Antarctica. I actually might do that episode as a rerun because it's, it's one of my favorite episodes. And spoiler alert, the KGB got slaughtered. They got turned into concrete pillars. You know those things you see outside of, like, a Walmart so people don't crash their car into the store? That. That's what happened to the KGB. They all work at Walmart now. These KGB soldiers try to shoot down a UFO with a rocket launcher, and they all got turned to giant concrete poles. But see, that can't be the end, right? That can't be the end of that story. Also, that story was fake. That story was provably fake. But this story... This story from a RU UFO forum, not are you a UFO, is from a Russian UFO forum by Alexander Glazunov. Now, this story might be this story might be real. Doesn't end with anyone turning into pillars of concrete. This story actually is more in line with how the KGB would actually interact with alien life, because this is how they interacted with humans as well. Joseph, bring us down low. Put on that stealth mode. We're landing at bar sake Island. We're in the Aral Sea of Kazakhstan. And I know I added letters and mispronounced each of those, but it doesn't matter. Joseph is our weapons master. He's each given us the weapon that we deserve most based on our skill set. He gives me this cool, cool-looking rifle with, like, all these laser pointers. And so there's just laser pointers taped on at the end of it. And then he's, like, giving you, I don't know, like, Shotgun? You like shotguns? He's asked. He doesn't know anything about weapons either. He's just handing out random weapons to people. Hey, you look like you could use a grenade launcher. Gives it to like a 10-year-old kid. Joseph is now handing us all weapons. We gotta check them, because this is gonna be a dangerous mission, guy. We're putting on our ghillie suits. We're going off. The year is 1976, and it's dark. It's nighttime. And as we're sitting there in darkness, we all got night vision on. We see a boat. Come up to bar Island there's been a lot of reports this island is uninhabited but there's been a lot of reports of people in the area I know that doesn't make sense but but I'm assuming that it means other fishermen I'm assuming fishermen had reported other fishermen going missing around this island the island itself was uninhabited but there were reports from locals that people had gone missing in the area so the Soviet Union wants to know what's going on here. Is it U.S. secret spies here? Or U.S. not secret spies? You just walk around with big shirts and say, I'm a spy on it. In this landing craft is about a dozen KGB special forces troops. These are the best of the best of the best. They're being led by a major, we'll call him Major Jones. Major Jones, everyone's like, dude, that's an American name. I think he's the spy. He's like, what? No, I'm not. Eyes shifting side to side. They jump all out of the boat. Now Major Jones is leading these 12 special forces KGB guys. So they're walking up this dark beach. And now they're exploring the inner part of the island. And even though it's so dark out. They can start to see fog begin to roll through the area. And the Major describes a sensation of fear he had never known before. He's been in a lot of dicey situations, breaking into people's houses, beating up peasants, but he's never experienced fear like this. So he holds his hand up to halt his men, and the fog just rolls over him. Now, they had aerial footage of this island. They knew it was uninhabited. That's why when the fog clears and they see a giant fence in the distance, the major knows something's up. So they begin to make their way towards the fence. When they get to it, it's quite high. The Russians actually have to climb over it. They all scramble over it. And now they're on the other side of this fence. There's a rocky hill now going up. And on top of it, they can see in the darkness a 16-foot-wide silver sphere just sitting on the ground. Soldiers all look at each other. The Major just stares straight ahead. So Major Jones commands his troops to get down, get down, get down. And they begin moving through the darkness, weapons ready. This wasn't supposed to be here. The fence was weird enough, but (laughs) now there's an alien craft. They're walking up this hill very quietly. And when they get to the top of it, they see what's described as strangely dressed people. There's three of them. They're standing around this sphere. The Major sees these, these strangely dressed people standing around. And they're wearing holsters. And in those holsters is what is described as a laser gun. Major Jones gives the command. He goes, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to walk up to them really, really quietly. And then we're going to jump out. And we're going to point our guns at them. We're going to take them prisoner because I really want to know who, <laughs> who built that fence. It's a really nice fence. We're going to take them prisoner. However, men, if they even think about reaching for one of those things in their holsters... You know what the KGB does best, and everyone everyone nods in agreement. Yeah, they just shoot people. So Major Jones and his men start getting closer and closer to these aliens. It doesn't describe them as actually being aliens. They're just strangely dressed people. Could have been Amish for all we know. But Amish, they generally don't have laser guns. Eventually, the soldiers pop out, and they're holding their guns, aimed at the ready at these three strangers. And Major Jones has his weapon aimed at them as well. One of the little alien dudes starts reaching. It's just a minute touch, but his hand goes to that weapon in his holster. Major Jones and his men know what they have to do. They immediately open fire. The aliens are all screaming and stuff. They slaughtered these three dudes. Now that is pretty typical for the KGB, right? You can't knock them; it it gets results done. They've been doing this for years. Generally, you kind of want to keep one of them alive, maybe to, like, you know, find out secrets of the universe, how to build spaceships, things like that. Or you could just shoot three dudes just because they're strangely dressed and might have a weapon on them. Just massacre them. Major Jones really isn't worried about this at this point. They have at least this giant silver orb they can like hang out, take pictures in, and reverse engineer. That's something for the eggheads in Moscow to figure out. What he's more interested in is that laser gun. So Major Jones walks up to one of these previously alive aliens, and he pulls it out, and it's actually like a wand. He figures, just by looking at it, which direction whatever's going to come out of it will come out of it. I mean, he has a 50-50 chance, right? He's either going to destroy his arm or do something cool. So he takes this wand-type device out, and he points it at the ground, and he presses a button, and it goes... And everyone at first is very, very afraid. They don't know if he made the right choice. It's 50-50. They don't know if this dude's about to get disappeared. But nothing happens. They hear that whistle noise and everyone is on edge. Even Major Jones isn't exactly for sure what that whistle noise signifies. But there's no light. There's no flash. It's just the noise and then nothing. And then Major Jones looks down and sees that the dirt where he had been pointing the rod at was beginning to turn into glass. So this was, in fact, some sort of laser weapon. Major Jones puts it in his belt. I'm assuming he doesn't actually say that in the story, but you're not going to leave that behind. At this point, he's stationed at this silver sphere, and there are scouts kind of surveying the area. Are there more of these things out there? Are there more of these really cool guns that are going to be able to have a laser tag battle to the death? Eventually, one of the scouts comes running back and says, Major Jones, Major Jones, found a cave. I think there might be more of them in there. Suit up, boys. Get all their weapons ready. They're ready to go. They begin making their way to this cave. Major Jones is leading his men through. And it's just a normal cave. But then he notices that the cave stops being a cave. The walls stop being jagged and all rocky and stuff. They start to become smoothed like walls. As they're walking through this tunnel, they begin to see tables. Which, while those aren't very sci-fi, everyone has one. There's probably one in front of you right now. You don't expect them in caves especially caves with smooth walls. If you see a table in a cave, don't call a National Enquirer. That's kind of weird, but it's not super weird. But they also saw a bunch of like weird alien equipment is how it's described. They're walking through this tunnel. They're starting to see these tables and it looks like alien equipment is just being stored here. It's not in use. But as they continue to walk through the tunnel, they see it starts to open up. And in this massive open chamber, it's full of alien technology. View screens and control panels and all sorts of stuff. And this is being used. It's lit up. Bleep, bloop bloop, bloop, bleep, blah, bloop, 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 bloop. Little lights flashing. And in this room, they see a ton of these tiny little alien guys. These guys are actually described as being dwarf size. These may actually be gray aliens. The people in the first part of the story, they weren't described in any sort of alien fashion other than they were wearing weird clothing. They could have just been vacationers, honestly, and they were just flying around in a silver-shaped balloon, and I guess they also invented laser guns. They were probably aliens, but this part of the story, actually seeing what's described as several dwarf-sized aliens. So most likely a room full of greys. But it wasn't just a room full of grey aliens going about their business. There was also two giant aliens sitting at different control panels. Now, both of these guys are six foot five, So not giant in the Nephilim sense, like 13 foot tall, but still 6 foot 5 is not something you want to go in combat against. Sure, you're the KGB, you got all these weapons, but still, these guys are pretty huge. They're definitely familiar with alien tech. They most likely have laser guns as well. So Major Jones is kind of running this game through his head. He goes, okay, here's the thing. We can retreat. because There's only 12 of us. There's a bunch of these dwarf little alien dudes in here and these two giant guys. So we can retreat, come back with better forces. We could bomb it. We could gas it. We could be like throwing gas grenades. Should have brought some of those, but I didn't. Gas them out. Take them back. Dissect them, all that stuff. Or we could keep them alive. We could go in, kind of hold them hostage. That didn't work so well the first time, just about 30 minutes ago. But we can hold them hostage. We can actually learn from them. Maybe we can actually apologize for what we had done before because we thought we were under attack. Maybe we can make first contact. In 1976, we're at the height of the Cold War. We could use all this stuff. But this technology is so much more useful if you can talk to the people who know how to work it out. So he's running these games through his head. He's trying to think, what's the best move? What would Vladimir Lenin do? Then he goes, what would Stalin do? His men pour into the room and (laughs) begin to massacre everyone in it. These KGB soldiers come in with guns blazing, not a single word said. They direct all their fire to mowing down all the tiny people. The two giants are still just sitting there. They're not even aware what's going on until half the greys are split in half by Russian gunfire. <laughs> it goes on and on and on longer than I have breath for. Just play that segment over and over again. Put it in a loop. They slaughter these guys. They blow them up. It would have been an absolute massacre. And after they're done shooting everything smaller than four feet in that room, the Major then directs all of his fire towards the Giants. This is happening so fast, the Giants are still at their control panels when the first bullets come flying towards them. It's in slow motion now, these bullets. Flying towards the Giants. The giants begin to turn and the bullets begin to hit them.
0: Ugh, ugh, ugh,
1: ugh. Automatic gunfire just hitting these aliens. The aliens just start to stand up. They start to stand up. Concentrated fire from automatic weapons. 12 KGB special forces aiming at two targets, and these giants are just getting up out of their chair, cracking their back a bit. Oh, sitting at the computer too long and then they just begin walking towards directions the bullets have no effect on these guys doesn't say that they're bouncing off of them doesn't say that they're going through it's kind of a moot point because basically from the point of view of the kgb soldiers who are telling this story their bullets weren't working you weren't you weren't concerned about the physics of it you just massacred a ton of aliens and now the two threats left are just walking towards you like it's a bright, sunny day. So the KGB does something that's quite uncharacteristic. They run away. they begin running through this tunnel. They stop being KGB agents. They become scared humans. They're running through this tunnel, and these big, giant aliens are chasing them. When they finally get out of the tunnel, all of a sudden, a white beam shoots from the sky into the hill That the cave was burrowed into. And then it turns red. And then it turns blue. Little USA action if I don't say so myself. But then it turns multicolored. So then the patriotism leaves. Plus I'm pretty sure Russia's flag is red, white, and blue. Doesn't matter. You're seeing this multicolored beam. Shoot out of the sky. Into the top of this hill that hid this cave. And they said they could actually... It was this giant cylinder. And it got smaller and smaller and thinner and thinner. Until eventually it was like a, just the size of a pencil. Coming out of the night sky into this hill. And then the beam disappears. And the sky catches on fire. <laughs> And Major Jones and his men just stood there watching this completely bizarre phenomenon. There would be really, other than a nuclear blast, there would be no other way you would see the sky on fire. Primordial Earth. The sky was on fire. And now this. They stood there for 20 minutes as this event continued. Just watching these flames above this hill. And then finally... It is a clear night. They get back to their landing craft. They, do, they don't go back in the cave because they're thinking, oh, maybe the aliens went away or maybe there's reinforcements. We don't know. It's 50-50. I already tried my luck with that once. They go back to their landing craft, go back, tell their supervisors, hey, you won't believe what happened to us over there. There's a fence. Soviet Union's like, what? Okay, that's fine. No, 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 you don't let me finish. There's something over the fence. They're like, oh, I'm listening. So the Soviet Union sends back more troops. They scour every part of that island. It's empty. Nothing but an island sitting in the middle of the Soviet Union. Stories like that, I think, are fun because they have a combination of stuff that we enjoy to hear about aliens. And then you got the combat. ta attack, taka, taka, taka. People shooting stuff. Your mileage may vary on that. I do love combat alien stories. But it's combined with that. These things are everywhere. Everyone's always looking at the sky for a UFO. All these UFO reports. I mean, that's why they're called UFOs. But if you were planning any sort of long-term operation, you have to have boots on the ground. For example, this, the Cold War. The United States and the Soviet Union had sleeper agents in each other's countries, in each other's allied countries. They had little safe houses. If the aliens are here for scientific purposes, we go out to the jungles and hang out with apes to observe them. If they're here for military purposes, we have bases as close as we can, as close as we can get undiscovered, to enemy territory. If they're here for some like subversive, world-conquering, long-term conspiracy reason, then you would definitely need to have boots on the ground. So I think stories like this are a very cool part of Alien Lore. It also has the creepy factor. So we have this story and it's action-packed and not so much for the aliens. <laughs> they all got massacred, but you have humans gunning down aliens. It's always great because, you know, humans are better. So the story's an action story, but before the story starts, it's a horror story because we get that segment of it, but we don't get the story before it of the fishing boat floating empty in the Aral Sea. And another fishing boat comes by it and they look, This is Yuri's boat. Where did he go fishing? Oh, he went to the island. I told him not to go there. Let's bring his boat back and tell his wife. A tugboat, listing, alone, day and night, day and night. Abandoned for days, weeks, who knows? People had gone missing in this area. So much so that the Soviet Union said, we need to figure out what's going on out there. And that's not one missing person. That's not three missing people. That's a lot of missing people for a national government to say, let's figure this out. So you would have had to have a mass amount of people missing before it even came to the notice of KGB. And even then, a few more to really get them off their butts and figure out what was going on out there. So we have the action-packed part. But what happened to those missing people? Where did they go? I can keep making jokes about the KGB just slaughtering these aliens without any real contact with them. But how many times did one of these fishing boats get too close to the island and a fog bank rolls off the island and covers up the boat? And they find themselves on the island. They're lost. They're walking through the fog until they find a fence. And hoping there's help, they scuttle over it. But there's not 12 of them. It's just one lone fisherman. He's not heavily armed. He just has a fishing knife in his sheath. What are the odds of him surviving any of these encounters with these aliens? They were obviously armed, and they were obviously hidden. So if they need to keep their location secret, they'll do whatever it takes. How many Soviet citizens disappeared on that island? Their names lost to time until the KGB showed up and shot everything with a heartbeat. And remember, these aliens just packed up and left. They didn't leave Earth. They had a mission. They set up somewhere else. And after a few humans came in and slaughtered their entire staff, save two giants, the next location they set up, they're going to be much more careful about letting intruders in. They're going to have better security, and they're going to have better weapons to fight off any adversaries. But a byproduct of having an alien installation on Earth is that it breaks the realm of the normal and the paranormal. And every so often, a dimension-defying mist seems to spread out in the area. So the next time you're out for your morning walk, and you start to see that fog bank roll through your area maybe you should turn that walk into a run. Because while it might be a beautiful natural phenomenon, it could also be something darker and more dangerous. A portal to an alien base. And unless you're a member of the KGB, the chances of you ever being seen again are slim to none.